I'll be reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Are there any more profound words than what was just read? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I hope that you will leave your Bibles open with us as we spend time there. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 for the next three weeks. I'm going to open the series uh, today, Hidden with Christ. Next week, we're going to pulpit swap with Cross Point Coast Cape. Joel Fair is going to come back here and preach, and I'll preach in Cape Canaveral, and then I'll wrap up our time in three weeks from now uh, with our final series before, in February, uh, jumping in together into the Gospel of Mark. This morning, we're going to look at who Christ is, what it is to be in him, and then we're going to watch how he accomplished that throughout the course of the Gospel of Mark, a, a, a gospel filled with action, filled with movement, filled with Christ performing accomplishing the work of the gospel. This morning, like I said, we're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. There's a, a, a small little book that will take you longer to read than any 700-page book because every word has meaning in it. Uh, that little book is called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. It's a book by John Murray. And in it, as you'll see, this is like you even have to put ellipses in just to make the sentence a little simpler, okay? This, this sentence is thick and rich and true, deeply biblical. John Murray writes, Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Like that's a sentence on its own, all right? That's enough. That's powerful. Union with Christ... Can you make a claim like that about one truth of Scripture? Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It is not simply a phrase, a phase of the application of redemption. It underlines every aspect of redemption. I want to step back and pause because right now, um, you could be reacting a number of different ways. You could be reacting with, hmm, that sounds interesting. I wonder what that means. You could be reacting with, yeah, I've really been thinking about that a lot lately. And, and a bunch of scriptures came to your mind. You could be reacting with, I have no idea what you're talking about because honestly, I haven't read much of the Bible and I'm not familiar with where you're going. Even the word doctrine is a little bit scary to me. It just means teaching, all right? It's really not a scary word. Um, you'll be reacting in a lot of different ways this morning. I would encourage you to this. Off, preaching can, can communicate a number of different things. It can even be a number of different approaches to preaching, to opening up the word for a people. But one of the things that preaching is not is good advice. Preaching is not the word that is the, the foundation of anything at all that we have to say when we gather is not good advice for how to live. It must be the declaration of that which is true 
so that we might see that which is real. How in the world would we get to the place of knowing how to live if we didn't even see what was true and real? You're like, well, I have eyes, I can see. No, you can't. That's why Matt Hardy prayed just a minute ago that God would remove the scales from our eyes. Friends, we are sinners and we do not see rightly. We are finite and so we cannot see rightly infinite things. We are not holy, so we cannot have a clear perspective on that which is holy. We can't know God because He's creator and we are created. We don't know how to live because we don't even know what sort of universe we live in because we can't see rightly unless we spend time getting to know the truth. Observing reality. This morning's message, and this morning's passage, is one of those passages that is going to get to massive application. In fact, it is the application portion of the letter of Colossians. And yet, application is so very on the other side of seeing something right and true, of of, of sound doctrine. And so this morning, and this sermon series, is a series that is on the particular sound doctrine of what it is to be hidden with Christ. How is that doctrine, how is that principle, how is that reality of Scripture to change everything about who we are, what it means to be redeemed, what it is to be saved, and what it is to live in that reality. This passage is thick with references to our relationship and specifically our relationship with union with Christ. It's thick with relational words between us and God. As we'll see, the whole argument of Colossians is undergirded by this reality of union with Christ. In fact, the whole of the New Testament explanation of the gospel is grounded in this reality, this central doctrine of unity with Christ. We see in our passage, like I said, I hope you still have it open. It's thick. Every word has meaning. Colossians 3, 1, this section, it has the words raised with Christ. It speaks of where Christ is. It speaks of being hidden with Christ. It speaks of appearing with Him. Do you see that everything that involves the church The believers, redemption, our hope, salvation, everything is in relationship to Christ. Do you see that? And specifically, the center of the passage is what it is to be hidden with Christ. As John Murray says, it really is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Now, the doctrine of salvation, one of the ways that we can speak about it, I'm going to use three doctrine words, okay? But words are helpful because they mean things. And so we'll spend time explaining what they mean. Stick with me. If we're going to understand salvation rightly, if we're going to understand it in the reality of what it is, we will understand, first of all, justification. Justification. Justification is really, uh, and, and union with Christ answers the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? We who are not in right relationship 
to God, who on our own ought to be condemned by God, our judge, have been found not guilty or justified before God. Do you see where the word comes from? To, to be justified before God. Justification is the truth of the doctrine, what it means to be in Christ. Rather than being judged on our own account, all right, judged for our performance, judged for our identity and person, all who are redeemed have been hidden with Christ so that his righteousness is credited, his sacrifice is acceptable and makes us therefore in him, hidden with him, acceptable, holy, and justified. Justification is a central doctrine of salvation that is predicated, it stands on, right? Stands on union with Christ. That's going to be the subject of most of our time together here. Next week, Joel Fair will be here and he will unpack for us sanctification, which is the question of how do we live today in light of the reality that we have been united with Christ and justified by that reality. We've been hidden with Christ. The world has no power over us. I want you to hold that in your mind when you think of one of the implications of being hidden with Christ in God is that the world has no power over that position, okay? The world has no power. Sin no longer condemns us. And we've been given a whole new affection, a whole new love. And so in light of union with Christ, sanctification, it's another one, one of those big words, right? But all it is, the word sancta, just means holy, sanctified, holy. Santa, as actually in reference to holy, all right? We're getting these words from the same sort of places. It's holy. Santa's not holy, by the way. It's not the point, right? Not the application. Don't go home. Start teaching on this stuff. It's a big word, simple idea. What does it mean to be being made holy? In light of Christ, sanctification is the process by which sin not only loses its power, but loses its appeal to the people who are in Christ. Then, in the final week of the series, we're going to look at glorification. What does it mean in the passage to appear with him in glory as a people who have been justified, who are being made holy, being? You're like, man, does holiness ever appear? Being made holy. I've been a Christian for 39 years. Not holy. Is there, is there some point, like maybe when I turn 50, and the 50-year-old's in the room like, nope, yeah, some of you shaking your heads, nope, turns out not 50. 60? Glory. Justified. Being made holy. And then the answer to the question of union with Christ is we will appear with him in glory. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. In the world, death, sin, death, and the devil have no power over us. What will it be like when the world, sin, death, and the devil finally are done? They are no more and have been finally judged and put away. What will it look like on that day? Glory. It's called glorification. 
When the work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross and resurrection is fully applied to the believer, this is glorification. Now the meat of the passage, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the meat of the passage is sanctification. It is talking about how do we live in light of what Christ has done in unifying us to all of his work and what it means to be unified with Christ in God. Paul grounds that whole idea of, unif- of, of sanctification, of being made holy, of living in light of Christ. He grounds it all in the reality of being united with Christ. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at that grounds. We're going to look at, at justification. Charles Hodge, in his theology, he writes, The first effect of faith, according to the scriptures, is union with Christ. The first effect of faith is union with Christ. And immediately, if you are united with Christ, if what is seen when someone says, where are you, what is seen is Christ, you're immediately justified before God. By what works, by what sight would you be judged if you are in Christ? If you are literally hidden in Christ, well, you'd be judged by the work of Christ. And this is what is seen. If one would look at you, they must look at Christ. If the Lord God would judge you, he must judge Christ. And on the merit of Christ, you will be judged and judged just, justified. That, my friends, is salvation. And this is what we look at this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for Colossians chapter 3 and the way that it fits. It's hard not to just fill the whole of the message with nothing but other texts from Scripture. Because once you see this, you see it everywhere. So Lord, I thank you for the reality of union with Christ. I thank you for the plan of this great salvation, for the execution of this great salvation and the application of this great salvation to us by your Spirit. I pray that you would give your church a better understanding of reality by our time in the Word this morning. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to spend just a little time in this passage. What I want to do before we look at the words of the passage, it's a relatively short uh, scripture, Uh, we won't be doing a thorough consideration of union with Christ or else we would have to do something far longer than a three-week series. This is a focus on this particular passage. We, We would have to do really a survey of the whole of the New Testament if we were to unpack what union with Christ is. What we're going to do is we're going to consider the specific reference in the passage. You can find it with me. Verse three, this morning, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The two most precious doctrines of the Christian faith, adoption and union. Adoption into Christ by the Father, by which we are united with Christ. Two precious Christian doctrines. One of the things that I want us to see before we look at that passage in depth is I want us to see the Trinitarian work of union with Christ. 
I'm, I'm using big words, you know, like for those of you who are with me on that, and that's helpful, but I want you to see that these things are, are very simple, that we have a triune God, very simple, <laughs> right? We worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You memorize that, very simple. Eternal depth of worship to come to know. Great, infinite glory of our God, the three in one. What I want us to see is I want us to see the three in one active in salvation, all right? I want it to increase our worship. The triune, the trinity, trinity all working in this reality of union with Christ. Union with Christ is secured by design, work and application by the whole of the work of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, John Murray's book is entitled Redemption Accomplished and Applied. I would say if he was unpacking the whole of what salvation is, if we were to consider the whole Trinity's work in redemption, the title should actually be Redemption Ordained or Purposed or Planned. Ordation, orda redemption Ordained, Accomplished, and Applied. Look at it, union through the election of the Father. Union with Christ is through the election of the Father. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. If I just, some of you, all right, might just want to check out right now from the sermon and just sit and read this text over and over again, because it's going to blow your mind, okay? First, 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. I hop in right in the middle of a sentence, God and then it explains who God is in this passage. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So it's speaking about God who saves. Not because of our works. Phew. Not keeping up with what those works would require. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Okay, so God has purposed salvation. Phew. And grace, oh, he's got, it's a gift. Not something that has worked, and so it's wage. No, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the grace of God, is eternal life, which he gave us in Christ. You can see the union with Christ reality in this passage. When did he do it? Oh, before the ages began. What? What? Read that sentence again and explain to me how you got saved before the ages began. And you didn't exist before the ages began. All right? I'm feeling my body's telling me I'm getting older, but come on, right? None of us existed before the ages began. Jesus wasn't even incarnate before the ages began. What it's speaking about in this passage is that salvation, my salvation, your salvation, the salvation of the church together was in the mind of God, ordained, planned, purposed. Grace was purposed before we even sinned. Oh, that's good, friends. Union with Christ is through the election, the decision, the ordination, the, the planning, the purpose of the Father. Secondly, union with Christ is through the work of the Son. We're just going to look at it again, 2 Timothy. It's good stuff. We're just going to add a verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. 
Grace, and here he explains what grace is, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. You just heard it, right? This is what grace is. Grace, the gift, is something that given to us in Christ before the ages began and which is now being manifested. So this gift is being made known, revealed through the appearing of the Savior Jesus Christ. Who, what did he do? He abolished death. That's good news for people who are dying. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How did he do it? Jesus did stuff. And we call it good news. It's it's news that can be announced. It's events that can be described. The gospel is how he did it. And what did he do? He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Union with Christ is through the work of the Son, the gospel. Third, union with Christ is through indwelling of the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Like, don't, don't pass that over. What kind of spirit are we talking about? It's a really good spirit. The, the Holy Spirit of God, friends, who can raise people from the dead. That one is in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Union with Christ is through the purpose of the Father, the accomplishment of the Son, and the application of the Spirit. You can see that work, that Trinitarian work happening through history, from before history, through the events of the gospel in history, and the application of those things to each redeemed life. That is, God will give you life through his spirit, through the work of the Son, according to the purpose of the Father. Already, I hope you're beginning to increase in your love and appreciation for God and his redemption. One of the, honestly, I think it's a central purpose of the word and preaching. So I sometimes I'll say it's one of the purposes, but it's really central to our purpose in gathering is that the application point is this. Are you increasing in worship? The application point is literally on Matt Hardy's shirt. Right? He won't let me pray, preach wearing T-shirts. I've asked him. But he can pray wearing T-shirts evidently. And Matt, your shirt says, love God and do what you please. Love God. And you will be pleased by God. I hope this morning that the result of our time in this passage is that we are increasing in a love, a worship, an affection, an appreciation, an understanding of God. And then the application point, which is the application point of the passage itself, sanctification, will happen. Because we love God. We love the things of God. We love being united with God. We love that the world has no power over us. We have affection for the world no longer. Now, I don't like to preach this long without paying more attention to the text that's in front of us. I apologize. We'll move quickly through this, though, since we've been going for a while. The question of the passage. I want you to see the logic of the passage itself in Colossians chapter 3. Where are you? 
I want you to think, shoot, if you're taking uh, notes, write it down. Where are you? What are the things that you could say about where you are? All right, it's not a hard question. I'm not sure what town this is. I know technically it's a Melbourne address. I don't know, is it Suntree? Is it, it's not Vieira. We, we were over there when we were in Manatee. Is this, what's that, Palm Shores? Is it Melbourne? I don't know where we are right now. We just call it Pinita. Where are you right now? Verse one, if then, if this is true, that you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are you? This scripture became one of my favorite scriptures when I was in college. And I stumbled across it. And I'll tell you, college is a place that will cause you to ask many questions about where you stand. Where am I? What is my identity? Who am I in the world? Uh, I'd never lived, I'd never, I barely traveled more than two hours from my home ever. I left that little tri-state area twice before college and I moved to northern Indiana. Super dislocating, okay? Where was I? Who was I? This passage asks the question, where am I? And it says, well, you are raised with Christ. Where is my life? My life feels very disoriented right now. This is how I feel in the world. Where is my life? Well, it's hidden with Christ in God. Well, where is Christ? If my life is hidden with Christ and my life is where Christ is, where is he? Seated at the right hand of God, where are you? Seated with Christ at the right hand of God if you are hidden with Christ. You might ask, but wasn't he on earth? And you're right, he was on earth. He came to earth in the incarnation to live righteous, suffer death, rise again, and all for the sake of those he came to save. We call it the gospel. And then, having accomplished all, all of this in his incarnation, in the place of sinners, he ascended to heaven and took a seat again in glory with a people who were united in him. What does that mean for the redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed? If we, if, and the passage begins the same way, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are redeemed, if you are united with Christ in his righteousness, his sacrificial death, in his resurrection life, we are also united with him in his ascension, in glory. That blew my mind. Because when I read this, I was in like a basement area of a theater room in college, and I thought that's where I was confused and disoriented. And this told me exactly where my life is. It's hidden with Christ in God. If, here's what that means. If Christ is righteous, we are righteous in him. If Christ satisfied justice for sin, in him our sin is justified. If Christ is alive, we have eternal life in him. If Christ has ascended to heavenly glory, he has secured glory for all who are in him. 
Friends, that's the truth of the gospel. If you believe the gospel, this is what we believe. This is what is true for those who are in Christ. And that rescues you from days where you don't know where you are. I'm in Christ. This is where the redeemed are. And these are the glorious benefits of union with Christ. This is where I want to be. And I want to know everything there is to know about life in Christ. Do you want to know? Like if this is where my life is, I want to know everything there is to know about that life. It launches us in salvation onto a trajectory of knowing Christ. Particularly as a young college student, identity is a huge question. But as I've grown, I've realized that question never really goes away, does it? It never real. And the 50 and 60-year-olds are shaking their head, you're right. It never really goes away. Until you start to find the answers in the place where reality is found. Where reality is revealed from the perspective of heaven itself. Union with Christ not only answered all of my identity questions and my own securities, it changed the question altogether. Where in the world am I? Becomes where am I? Because I'm not in the world. Not any longer. Specifically, this passage told me two things about justification. And these are the two things that I want to leave us with Today, the first thing in verse 3, for you have died, for you have died. I don't feel like it. I feel like I'm dying slowly. The back's finally going to give out one of these days. My hip is starting to hurt. I'm 43. Why is my hip hurting? All right. I'm dying. I'm not dead. Well, this passage tells me you have died We're united with Christ in all of his accomplishments. We've talked about that already. When we focus more narrowly on the climactic events of the gospel, the cross and resurrection, we see most powerfully the benefits of being united with Christ. And the benefits of being united with Christ is as much as I feel like I'm dying, I've already died. I don't have to die. All of the judgment that is in death for me has already been died. You're already dead. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 explains it this way. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. If we are united with Christ, which is what baptism symbolizes, holds forth for us, then we've already died and we've already been raised. We see as we investigate union with Christ why baptism is such a beautiful and important practice of the church. At its core, it is a ceremony by which we celebrate the central reality of all of salvation, which is union with Christ. Does it symbolize cleansing? Yes, but only because we are united with Christ in his cleansing death. Does it symbolize new life? Yes, but only because we are united with Christ in his resurrection. Do you see? Baptism is a place where we celebrate not my obedience. We've already seen we're not saved by my obedience. We're not, it's not even a place where we celebrate my faith. Faith itself is a gift from God. Baptism is a place where we celebrate union with Christ. 
by grace alone, through faith alone, that we, our death has already been died. As, <clears throat> as Colossians chapter 2 continues in verses 13 and 14, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How did he take care of everything that death is? All of the judgment that is in death, all of the condemnation that is rightly toward us. How did he take care of it? Nailed it to the cross when he died our death for us. That's why it's not bad grammar to say, my death has already been died. My death has already in the past been died for me in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, verse 21 puts it this way. For our sake, he that is God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. What does all this mean? It means that as it regards your sin, your only hope is Christ. Some here this morning still think that God wants you to get cleaned up so that you can be acceptable to him. No. God wants you to cling to Jesus Christ by faith that you might be hidden in him and receive all of the blessings, all of the benefits of what it is to be in Christ. If you are not in him, your death still must be died. That's future. And that's what is awaiting you no matter how much you think you can get clean. You're going to do nothing about your sin. It's already left its stain. I think about pulling a shirt out of the laundry and realizing that in all of my effort to clean the muddy shirt, all that I've managed to do is bake in the stain. I got some dirt off, but the stain is still there. When we look at the mud-stained T-shirt, we have to say quite literally, that stain can only be removed by a miracle. You would have to change the makeup of the material itself Miracle to remove that stain. It's true. And that's what Christ has done. Christ in his gospel is that miracle. And we receive the benefits of miraculous grace, not by getting ourselves cleaned up, but by being united with Christ by faith alone. Hopefully you're beginning to see why faith alone is a corresponding key doctrine of justification. Justification by faith alone. Justification is the result of union with Christ. It's the immediate result. Union with Christ is by faith alone, not by some deed that we do to get ourselves united with Christ, not to meet some arbitrary threshold that some holds out that says, if you can not do these sins, we get it, everybody gossips a little, but if you can not do these, this arbitrary set of sins, you can get cleaned up enough that we can declare that you're saved enough to get saved by Christ and be united with him. No, only by faith might we be united with Christ and receive all of the benefits that are in him, including forgiveness of sin. What else could we do to perform the miracle of removing the stain? I'm not a miracle worker. Christ is. 
Verse 3 again, second thing. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. This is about what sin before a holy God requires. Our sin is literally a capital crime. Jesus warned Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of the tree that is prohibited, you will surely die. But because our sin is against a holy and infinite God, simple death isn't enough. It's not enough, or else they just would have dropped dead right there. But because our crime is against the infinite and holy God, our death must be eternal. Friends, on that day they died. The just punishment against sin is eternal. What I'm describing is hell. And we should consider the just punishment of our sin when we realize the grace that is life hidden with Christ in God. When we talk about you and I, we shouldn't be talking about life. We should be talking about death. That is what is due us. But to be united with Christ means that our life is hidden where death can never go. To be hidden with Christ in God means that Jesus' death is the functional means by which we are justified before a holy God. Jesus, the perfect and infinitely righteous one, died in our place so that death could not hold him because his righteous sacrifice satisfied the infinite and the holy. Christ did the miracle that no sinner can do. In him there was no stain. There are only two options. Your death is either just and eternal or your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you've been raised with Christ, you're like, can you stop talking so we can sing? There are only two options. And by grace alone, through faith alone, hidden with Christ in God. The result of redemption is a justified life. Death has been dealt with. You've literally, your, lot, your death has been died. Death is done. Death is accomplished. Death is defeated. It's finished. The result of the gospel is a life that is hidden with Christ in God. I already mentioned how identity issues and insecurity often plagues us. These questions are questions for the moment. And the questions are answered by the reality of union with Christ. But union with Christ goes beyond questions of identity in the moment. It answers not only of the questions of our identity today, but our hope for the future. Being hidden with Christ demonstrates for us the security of our eternal station. Even if I manage to think that I figured out who I am today, what hope is that? I'm going to have to figure it all out again tomorrow. I'm changing. With Christ, my identity, my life is hidden and secure in Him. There are three things I want us to send us out with in light of our death being died and our life being hidden, our death being died in Christ and our life being hidden with Christ. The first is this. If then you have been raised with Christ. I think that there's a number of ways that you can read the word if. 
I think the sense in this passage is since, all right? The word if can be read. If this is true, I mean, since it's true, obviously then something else. That condition has been satisfied. But I would ask us to pause and ask the question, not only since this is true, but is this true? Are you in Christ by faith alone? Do you believe, do you trust in Christ? Or are you either cleaning yourself up or pretending like you're not so bad as it is? See, they're self, really, they're both self, they're, they're both delusional denials. I call you this morning, the if is a grace to you this morning. Today is the day to believe. We've already talked about baptism, right? Today is the day to consider whether you've been baptized or not. Baptism doesn't do anything. Baptism points to something that has been done. But in baptism, we see and remember what faith is and what union with Christ is. I would call you this morning to ask the question, if, is this for me? Am I in Christ? And the call is to respond with faith confession, a cry for forgiveness, and know that that forgiveness has been satisfied in Christ. And then to talk to one of the elders about baptism so that we can hold out the glory of what Christ has done for you, for the church. The last two things for all of us in the room, if you answer the question, if you have been raised, yes, by grace alone, through faith alone, I have been raised then this is grounds for seeking the things of God. Why would you seek the things of the world if you don't even, the, the essential life that is for you doesn't even live in this world? The power of the world has no power over you. Your identity is not centered in your identity in the world. So you are now free in Christ to seek the things of God. That's the central message of this passage that Joel will bring to us next week. And finally, what I will close the series with, and I want to leave you with this, is confidence for glory. If you've been hidden with Christ in God, who reaches in there and snatches your life out of there? Who breaks out of that glorious home? Confidence. We ought to have confidence Glory is our future. If we have been raised with Christ, glory, hope, joy, and today, worship. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would increase worship in the midst of the congregation today. That you would create worship for the one who has not trusted in you, but today is asking the question right now, am I united with Christ? Are my sins forgiven? Am I hidden with him? Or do I still find my identity in this world, even if that identity is seeking to prove something to God? I pray that you would break down those barriers, soften that heart, and that you would create worship in that heart. Give the gift of faith. And for everyone in this room who has believed, who is united with Christ, Lord, that you would increase worship, that you would loosen our grip of this world and that we would see reality that we are heavenly people today who are in Christ. Increase worship, Lord. 
Help us to see with eyes that have been made to see through revelation, made to see through your word. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this. We trust you for your ongoing work of grace, your application to it by your spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.